0: Well, our text this morning is is pretty interesting because it actually, we could go in two different directions and because we don't have time to do both, I'm going to only take one, but obviously the application would go the other way. Uh, Paul is, is speaking here uh, to the church and uh, he's talking about what's a healthy relationship between a husband and wife, uh, but there's something else going on here, as you can guess, but um, Last week, we talked about the church in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth as the body of Christ, and he used that metaphor to talk about the diversity, many parts, as well as the unity, just one body, and, uh, and how that looks in the life of the church. Well, today, beyond the advice to husbands and wives about how they should treat each other, and yes, that would be an important topic as well, we want to... Try to understand Paul's description of the church as the as the bride of Christ. Now, those of you who have never stood in front, and there are things that we just don't get to experience. Um, I we only had sons. I'll never walk a daughter down the aisle. Diane, you blew it. I just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. Relax. Um, that there's got to be something special about walking a daughter down the aisle, and I see Bob is shaking his head, yeah. Um, Mike will probably potentially get to do that. Hopefully, he'll wait a bunch of years first. Um, but, but I've stood up front, and ladies, you don't, you don't understand this, but those of us men that are married know what it's like, how special that is to stand up front and wait for your bride to walk down the aisle. Men, huh? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. That's about as special as it gets. Uh, It's a spectacular moment. With all the range of emotions that are generated, the feelings, it's truly spectacular. And some guys actually pass out. They just can't handle it. Um, I didn't. Well, I think we could say that most of us would say that at that moment, our focus our attention, our hearts were fully directed toward the person coming down the aisle. No one got or deserved more attention. No one. We were captivated, we were conquered, we were sold out, we were single-minded, we were committed. And I hope we still are. Okay? But that's, that's, that's what that's like. So then the question for us this morning is, what's the connection then to that and Christ in the church? Well, the first part of our passage, uh, verses 25 to 27, it says, husband loves your wives, here we go, just as Christ loved the church, in the same way. So Christ loved the church. That's, that's the model, that's the bar that he sets. And then he says, and he gave himself up for her. Hmm. You were probably wondering, what would occur to a guy to hang a wedding dress on a cross? Hmm? Actually, we had, uh, JC and I had talked about maybe putting these here like this, and we thought, well, that might look like getting married is like being crucified, and we thought we didn't want to go there. Um, certainly not. Uh, but when you read this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, if there's one thing that I have come to embrace and understand and appreciate more and more is the fact that we have a cross dead center on our stage. And it's empty. Because you have to read the Bible through the lens of the cross. And Paul says, I I want to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. You read scripture through the lens of Christ... You read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, and you read Scripture through the lens of Christ, but not only through the lens of Christ, but through the lens of the cross. That's the supreme example of God's love and what God is like. So, he died on the cross for us, his bride. Uh, I can't say it more simply than that says, he, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. So notice, Christ loved the church. He still does. He loves the church to that extent that he's willing to go to the cross for her. Love is demonstrated by service and sacrifice. That's what Christ demonstrated, service and sacrifice. He died on the cross to save us from slavery to sin, and thereby making us holy and blameless. Our passage also talks about cleansing by washing, and you know I have this penchant for changing fonts and highlighting and making bold, because I want to make certain words scream out at you. I don't know if that does it for you, but uh, hopefully... Uh, this cleansing and sanctification, this process, is is exactly that. It's a lifelong process. Justification is instant when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, but sanctification is a process. Uh, I've heard it said. I've run into people that say, once I got saved, I never sinned again. Huh, really? You just sinned because you just told a lie. (laughs) Sanctification is a process. We, 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 we We recognize that that we make mistakes, we sin, and we have to ask for forgiveness. It's a process. It's a process of what the Holy Spirit does in us, but it's also something that requires our intentional participation in it. Because he doesn't, God doesn't obligate, he invites. He knocks on the door. So, yes, the Holy Spirit does the work, but we also need to be willing and um, intentionally involved in that process. What does it mean to be sanctified? Uh, sanctified means to be set apart. Now, I, I don't know that I'll get much of an argument from anyone here, but when a man and a woman commit themselves to each other for marriage, they are setting each other apart for each other. That's, that's an exclusive relationship. I don't often feel very holy or blameless. I don't feel like I'm without spot or wrinkle or blemish. I think sometimes we recognize as we do a little introspection that, that we still have flaws and faults. And this isn't really about cheap grace either. Uh, it's, it's not about, well, so what? So what? we are to work with the Holy Spirit in allowing him to point out areas in our lives that need cleansing and changing. But I think it also means that um, Christ expects us to make true in our lives um, what he has done for us, what he's done for us. I also think that just as the groom only sees beauty when he looks at his bride coming down the aisle, I think that Christ focuses on the good when he looks at his church. He looks at us and he focuses on more on what we are becoming than what we are or what we were because his blood has atoned for our sins. Radiant is a good word uh, to describe the bride. And here Paul describes the church as radiant. Do we feel radiant? I don't know. Uh, but that's how he describes us. Verse 28 to 30, Paul says, in this same way, so he's talked about Christ loving the church, giving himself for the church, and then he says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. So here again, he's using the analogy to tell husbands and wives how they should uh, respond to each other, and he uses the example and says, this is what Christ does for the church. Have you thought about that? That you and I as a church, individually and corporately together, are so connected to Christ that we are one flesh with him? That, that we are the body of Christ? That we are connected to him? In the ancient world, women were marginalized, marginalized, Uh, They were not viewed as equals. In fact, uh, they were often treated like property. And and I, uh, without going into detail, would tell you that I I used to tell some of my students at SBC, be thankful that you are born in the Western world because in much of the non-Western world, you're still property. You're responsible to your father and then to your husband and and you have very little in terms of rights. Um, But Paul is trying to change that and he challenges that attitude. He's advocating for, uh, for women and ad- advocating for equality. Christ cares for the church in the same way that we care for and nourish our own bodies. Now, I, I should probably nourish my body a little less um, because I, I realize that my muscles are growing in different directions. Um, maybe I need to walk a bit more um but we are we look after our bodies more or less, and Christ looks after the church, which is his body as well. So we're connected to him, we're connected to him, and he cares for us, He, he feeds us. Um, and I think the command here is for mutual submission between all believers. and uh, the verse the, a few verses before Wilma's text and a verse or two after talk about mutual submission. Those are kind of the bookends to this passage. And it's a suggestion that we should, uh, as Christians, as part of the body, whoops, um, I guess I woke somebody up. As part of the body, we should submit to one another. And we should care for one another. Love for my fellow believer is raised to the degree of being willing to forego my own rights, interests, and desires. Let me say that again. Love for my fellow believer is raised to the degree of being willing to forego my own rights, interests, and desires. And that's not confined to feelings uh, or attitudes even, but a series of choices that express discipleship to Christ. Well, our final... uh, a couple of verses in this text, Ephesians 5, 32 say, For this reason, for this reason, the body, looking after the body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So here Paul quotes Genesis 2.24. That's that first verse. He's quoting Genesis 2.24, uh, the, the creation account and he applies it to Christ and the church. Just as the husband and wife become one flesh, so too Christ and the church are one flesh. That's how real the union between Christ and his followers is. We're part of him, part of Christ, and also, therefore, part of each other. I can still remember uh, the Sunday when we lived in Chihuahua that we forgot to move the clock, and uh, so suddenly we realized we were going to be late for church if we didn't hurry. And on that particular Sunday, it just so happened that because we were home longer than normal, uh, the JWs were at our door. We had normally gone to church early enough that we always missed them. And these two ladies were at our door, and they, and they started talking. And, and I didn't have time, and I didn't want to be rude. So I said, you know what, there's something pretty significant that we will never agree on. So there's no point in us having this longer conversation and they said so what is that and I said well the divinity of Christ and I remember they kind of smirked and says so three gods as one God Father Son and Holy Spirit and one like does that make sense to you Uh, thinking that they had me over a barrel and I think sometimes the Holy Spirit whispers things in your ear and, and and you respond and you wonder later where that came from And I said, you know what? The Bible also says that my wife and I are one flesh, and I don't understand that either. And their jaw dropped. They didn't have anything else to say, and they said, thank you, and they turned around and they left. I I can't explain that mystery either. But there it is. There it is. And here, um, Paul says it's a profound mystery, and he's not only talking about man and wife, he's talking about Christ and the church. One flesh, he says. That's how real this union is. So, if you thought this was a mystery about you being one flesh with your husband or your wife, well, imagine how profound and tremendous this is this thought that the church, Christ and the church, are connected in the same way. And I guess we would have to say that if we say that Christ is the head and the church is the body, then he is to define and shape our lives, he's in charge, he's the boss. Now, this is not in our text, but I want to add this because we're talking about the church as the bride. And uh, I've got this uh, slide, if you can throw on the next one. Wake up, church, Jesus is coming. Although our text doesn't focus on this this morning, I I want us to remember and recognize that Jesus is coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his bride. Uh, He anticipates being reunited with his bride. Uh, Matthew 25, if you read that parable of the ten virgins, uh, it talks about being ready for the bridegroom. And Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Just as I waited eagerly in anticipation for my wife to appear down the aisle and, and walk to the front... Jesus is coming back for his bride and he anticipates his bride being ready. Can you imagine? I I don't think it would ever happen. I I don't know, but can you imagine uh, a bride on her wedding day going into the barn and doing chores, uh, not showering, not doing her hair, not putting on makeup, and then walking down the aisle to meet the groom? I I don't know if that would ever happen. Um, A bride on her wedding day makes every conceivable effort to um, be as beautiful as possible, and, and, and to meet her groom as they get married. Well, there are some implications of what we've talked about this morning. Number one, and I have a list up here, if, if the church is the bride of Christ, if the church is the bride of Christ, and we're, not, we're talking the universal church, and every local church is part of that, If the church is a bride of Christ, then you and I should avoid negative criticism of other local churches. Hmm? Because we, we aren't... EFC isn't the only part of the body of Christ. We're part of this larger body of Christ. All believers that follow Christ are part of a local church, are part of the body of Christ. So just like you wouldn't like it if somebody criticized your bride... And said, wow, you know, you sure you want to go through with this? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, can you imagine? Uh, I, I think that we've got to bite our tongue. And maybe if somebody else is criticizing the church down the street, maybe we should say, you know what, actually, we're on the same team. Yeah, we do things differently. Uh, but, but we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I think it's important that we avoid negative criticism of the church because the church is the bride of Christ. I think that's a very important observation. Now that doesn't mean that you can't make uh, positive, uh, critical comments or observations about your own local church in an effort to help us to improve. We make positive, uh, positive, positive criticism all of the time with the idea of growing together, and that kind of criticism is fine. Uh, Constructive criticism, just so that that we can grow. But let's not do negative criticism which only serves to tear down. Uh, Secondly, work at becoming holy and blameless. The Bride of Christ should be willing to submit to and engage in the sanctifying process, both individually and corporately. It's initiated by the Holy Spirit, but it also requires our cooperation, our submission, and our obedience. So being part of Christ is a transforming experience. We're called to change. And uh, change is not always easy. Uh, Sometimes it's hard, whether that's on an individual level or together. We explore that together, and we're called to change. We're called to be transformed. We're called to be in this perfecting process as the bride of Christ. Then thirdly, as the bride of Christ we should eagerly anticipate the arrival of the groom. Um, I've heard it said that some people are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Um, And and I think there's balance that's needed. But sometimes some of us are so tied to things here that the thought of heaven doesn't enter our mind. And, And I'd like to suggest Balance. I'd like us to be anticipating and doing everything to prepare for our encounter with Christ, as the bride of Christ. This is not our final home. This is this is not it. Uh, and so, is there a level of anticipation of being with Him and uh, and and joining Him? And then finally, if Christ is the head of the church. And uh, I don't want you to now think that what I'm suggesting as we go back to Ephesians 5, that as a husband, you're the head of your wife and you get to tell her what to do and blah, blah, blah. Um, once you've died on the cross for her, then you've fulfilled your obligation. <laughs> In other words, the responsibility there isn't the idea of being heavy-handed and, and you know calling the shots. That, that's not the concept there. But in the sense of our relationship as a church with Christ, he is the head, so we take our marching orders from him. Not from the pastor, uh, not from the elders, uh, not from the congregation, but from Christ. So when we pray and we ask him to guide us in in our meetings, in our deliberations, in our conversation... In, in our services, and everything, it's not just a token prayer. It's actually a desire that Christ will guide us and lead us because at the end of the day, he's in charge. And that's the way it should be. So as you look at that cross and that wedding dress this morning, I want you to remember that you are, you are the bride of Christ. And uh, that's how Christ views you. That's how He views you. That's how He sees you as His bride that He anticipates being reunited in glory with one day. And so let's not let's not criticize other churches. Uh, let's work at being uh, holy, being sanctified. Let's work at uh, at improving. Uh, let's be eagerly waiting for his return and then let's submit to him as our, as our guide, as our leader, as our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this amazing uh, teaching from Paul that reminds us that Christ is the groom and as the church we are his bride. Um, we don't always feel as holy as we know we should be, um, but we long to be in a continuing process of sanctification so that we will continue to get better. And we pray that you will help us to also anticipate Christ's return, uh, to live in such a way that our lives uh, direct others to him as well, And thank you for what Christ has done for each and every one of us and for us together as a church in uh, choosing us, in dying on the cross for us, and then working to present us holy and blameless. Thank you for all of this, and we ask uh, this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen.